Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm excited to share with you this morning from Hebrews uh, chapter 13. And I must admit, this feels a little counterintuitive. Uh, We're at the beginning of this sermon. Uh, Hebrews itself really is a sermon letter, and we come to the end of that letter here at the beginning. Uh, You can recognize the tone. Uh, This preacher is landing the plane, wrapping up everything that has gone before in the letter to the Hebrews uh, after chapter after chapter after chapter of dense material, uh, usually consisting of Jesus is truer and better than and a fulfillment of. That's almost every chapter of Hebrews. Um, We come to landing the plane. This is the so what section of Hebrews. How how does all of this intersect our actual lives? Uh, We've spent now several weeks uh, here at the end of this book. Uh, Hebrews 11 we read, we didn't preach on it, but it was the great heroes of the faith. Uh, the hall of faith, and and thought about what would it be like for us, as we heard that, just to consider, as they live lives of faithfulness and holiness in their day, what does that holiness and faithfulness look like in our own day? Uh, We lingered in Hebrews chapter 12, a wonderful chapter bookended by two sections of Scripture, bookend one, Hebrews 12, one through two, therefore, since we are surrounded By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I actually think our passage today picks that thread up. What's it mean to lay aside the sin that clings so closely and follow Jesus? We get some practical instructions, some very concrete terms here at the end of the book, for what it looks like for this community who's receiving this sermon letter. Uh, The book into the end of chapter 12, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews shows us this holy, glorious picture of God where the very presence of God is available uh, to welcome us and cleanse us, heal us, and transform us. And the Hebrews 13 shows a little bit more how that works and how it's tethered to the Lord Jesus, especially in verse 8. When I read through this section, we're reminded that our faith in Jesus, our faith in God is both relational and reliable because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So let's look at this uh, together. Um, We're going to do this in some... It's a little out of order. We're going to do Hebrews 13, 1 through 7 in the first point, and then just verse 8 in the second point. Is that okay? Be a little off-kilter today. Uh, usually this congregation is off-kilter. Everyone's over here with a couple on this side, but it's, it's nicely balanced this morning. That's kind of nice. Um, I'm sorry. Um, so first, uh, the relational part of our faith. We, we have these rapid commands in Hebrews 13. Uh, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, Remember those who are in prison. Let marriage be held in honor. 
Uh, keep your life free from love of money. Um, even a little bit later, remember your leaders. Do not be led away. All these commands um, that are just rapid fire. Um, and I get that because this is a preacher. It's so like any preacher, he knows that there are different people in the congregation. Uh, the gospel is going to actually intersect their lives at very different points. So he's saying, this might be for you. This might be for you. This might be for you. And a community who follows these commands, well, they begin to reflect the holiness and glory of God. And I'm especially struck by, first of all, that the tone is positive. He's not scolding this congregation. He's saying, keep up the good work. Continue in what you are doing well. The first one, let brotherly love continue. They're doing a good job. The pastor wants them to keep it up and uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it's interesting. Um, he's going to talk about the love they have for one another and the hospitality they show, and he says, keep it up. Um, that struck me because we're in an interesting season in the life of our church where we're beginning to enter the fall together. Uh, we've had an Athens summer like we always have in Athens of transitions. Uh, people go out, people we love who go out, and, and new people come. And the goal of a congregation um, is to, in the midst of those transitions, let brotherly love continue and do not neglect to show hospitality. Um, and I would just say, uh, as a word of encouragement, I actually am in awe of the hospitality that this church exhibits. Um, but we had someone visit uh, a little earlier this summer and they asked me, what do you think is the, the charism of St. Thomas Anglican Church? In other words, what, what has God uniquely imprinted this church uh, to be about and live out in Athens? And I actually said, I think the charism of this church could be our hospitality. That there is an eagerness uh, to welcome and welcome quickly. Um, there's an eagerness to display the, the brotherly love uh, of God. That word, by the way, brotherly love is kind of fun. It's just Philadelphia, <laughs> like the city of brotherly love. Uh, but it's saying that we want to have these thick bonds of affection for one another. The, the kind of, of community base and, and a, a network of support that can care for one another, that can make room uh, to welcome new people, that can make a place for strangers I mentioned before, this congregation is under intense pressure and persecution and doubt. And this preacher wants them to know that you're not going to be able to withstand persecution and pressure and doubt on your own. You've got to be connected to a community that's showing brotherly love for one another. And a community that is eager uh, to extend hospitality. He appeals to this interesting story from Genesis 18, where these three visitors visit Abraham. And he kind of, in, in a normal uh, Near Eastern fashion, the, the expectation is he would extend hospitality, and he does. And it's told that he entertains angels unawares. Um, this idea that you never know who you are entertaining. Um, you never know who you are welcoming. Um, it, it's honestly interesting from, from my standpoint. I get to be up here and see everyone come in. Um, and and I'm, it's always interesting when someone new comes uh, to visit. 
uh, first, it's an honor uh, when they come. It's a gift that they've, uh, it, it's, you know that's countercultural, right? To get up and go to church. <laughs> and it's, it's admirable to get up and go to a new church. Uh, try a church for the first time. But it's always interesting because I, I can see someone come in and I just think to myself, huh? Like this could be a, a, a one and done guest. Uh, they might come once, um, and, and they might be like, okay, that was nice. Um, sometimes you can actually tell in their face <laughs> during the service, this is not what they signed up for. <laughs> this is going to be one and done. <laughs> Maybe they read something like Sirach, and they're like, what in the world? <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, and then they are out the door. And then on the other hand, you see someone, they come in, and you're like, this is their first time, and for all we know, they could be a future cornerstone and leader uh, in our congregation. And I'm always curious, what gifts are they coming in with? Uh, what's God gifted them with that we might need if he's calling them to be part of this body? And so we extend hospitality. Um, we welcome uh, people who come in um, I saw this great film when I was preparing for the sermon. It was about a guy uh, named Mark Canlis. And uh, I actually know his brother, who's a, an Anglican priest and pastor. He did a documentary called Godspeed that some of you may have seen. Um, but Mark Canlis, his brother, uh, is, is in charge of a restaurant called Canlis in Seattle. Anyone know this restaurant? It is a top 20, like, super legit fine dining restaurant. It's been, in, it's, a, it's a family business, multi-generations of this restaurant, Canlis. And the whole film was interviewing this, this lead, you know, chef, restaurateur, Mark Canlis. Uh, how does your faith intersect your work? And they said, well, first of all, there's not like a me at home and a me at work part of my faith. Like I want to be integrated in this. Um, and for me, I look at what we do is we're extending hospitality and generosity. Um, I'm not just in the, the feeding people business. We're in the hospitality and generosity business. He said the word hospitality, if you look at the, the kind of etymology from Latin, just means to make room for. And they're always wondering, how can we make room uh, for someone else? He said, in their instance, it's, it's such a fine dining restaurant that it's, it's where if you're going there, it's probably a special occasion. Um, and he said, that's a challenge for them. What's it like when your ordinary every day is the most special day of someone else's year? How do you steward that? How do you honor that? How do you lean in and make room for and welcome um, and it's, it's a culture that he set that's actually rooted in the gospel. He's like, I'm not, I'm not you know, giving out a tract. <laughs> um, we're doing what we do with excellence and generosity and hospitality and investing in our people. Um, and then actually I saw another video. It was him with his brother. And they talked about they kind of feel like they do the same thing. One's a pastor. One runs a restaurant. They're both setting the table and making room for people and caring for them as they come in. Um, that's a picture of this kind of generosity. They would say, not just generosity for those you know, but generosity for strangers. 
for being excited and curious when someone comes in, being honored that they are in our midst. Um, and I actually think this is maybe particularly difficult to exhibit biblical hospitality in the South. Because this isn't Southern manners. This is not politeness. This is something different. This is rooted in the gospel. This is a family, a spiritual family in Christ. Um, and part of, we're, I mentioned we're about to start up our fall ministry calendar together. And one of the things we do is we have community groups. Um, these are simple. They're in people's homes. You gather maybe for a meal or a snack. Um, you're going to think about the readings, the scriptures. You're going to pray for each other. You're going to talk about your life. Um, and we don't do those just because we don't think you have anything to do on a Thursday night. Um, we do those community groups as training wheels for our community in this kind of hospitality. Um, training wheels in this kind of let brotherly love continue. I would say even maybe we do it preemptively, knowing just like this congregation that experienced persecution and pressure and doubt and trouble and sickness, we do these community groups so that you have a network and base of support for when those things come. Because when persecution and pressure and doubt and hardship comes upon you, if you don't have that community, it's kind of too late when you're in the moment of crisis. And so we run these community groups. I'd encourage you, you can actually sign up for one after uh, the service. And Deacon Text did not pay me for this advertisement. Uh, at all, but we really do hope you would do that um, to begin this kind of relational uh, connection. Um, and even those groups, those are not just, you know, get together for fun. Uh, Christian hospitality and fellowship is not just to get together for fun. It's rooted in Jesus. Um, one Anglican uh, scholar, Philip Hughes, says Christian uh, brotherhood is brotherhood in Christ. For as he is the only son, as Hebrews has stressed, it is through union with him that we participate in the grace of his sonship and in him are accepted as the sons of God and as sons, brothers and sisters and fellow heirs with him who is the heir of all things. It says, if our brotherhood, our sisterhood derives from Christ, so also does our love as brothers and sisters. His infinite love for us is the source and stimulus of our love for each other. Um, I think that's so crucial for a congregation to realize. Um, that our love for one another, our community, everything, the glue that should hold us together is rooted in the love of Jesus. Um, and to the extent that out of hospitality we're making room for one another, we only make room for one another because Jesus first has made room for us. And has welcomed us. Uh, we heard this great, in Luke 14, all about the, the great feast. And I imagine an endless table with infinite chairs where the Lord Jesus has made room for us. Um, we're all adopted into the one household of God. And this isn't a, uh, it's, it's not Southern manners. It's also not just kumbaya. Um, it's not just a generic love. Um, John Owen uh, once said, let none pretend that they love the brethren in general and love the people of God 
and love the saints while their love is not fervently exercised towards those who are in the same church with them. It says, Christ will try your love at the last day by your deportment in that church wherein you are. You know what he's saying there. You don't just love people generally, you love people specifically. And it's a lot harder to love people specifically than it is to love people generally. Because specific people um, have strengths and weaknesses. And some of them you're going to click with, and some of them you don't click with. And you're going to have conflict. You're going to need to forgive one another. And that person, man, they might frustrate you to no end. Um, I actually think this is a secret. Some, some people, when they visit a church, and they're trying to figure out, you know, could this be a congregation God is calling me into? Um, occasionally, they'll meet someone that just rubs them the wrong way. And they'll be like, this is not the church for me. Can I tell you a secret? <laughs> if you join a community and there's someone who just rubs you the wrong way, that's probably exactly where God wants you. Because God wants to teach you to love your neighbor and your enemy. Um, and it's in community that we do this. It's in the frustration, actual community that we do this. Uh, needing to make room for one another. And we do this uh, rooted in the Lord Jesus and again, he's not scolding them. He's saying, keep it up. And I would say, St. Thomas, I'm not scolding you. Just keep this up. This is something that we do fairly well and naturally. Um, but this has been a season of growth for us. And I would just say, as we expand, keep thinking, how do we make room for and how do we welcome? How do we notice those God is bringing in? As Hebrews would say, um, you may entertain angels unawares when people come in. Um, the next few verses, um, I don't think, actually take a lot of explanation. They're very practical, very specific, seemingly universal. They have to deal with uh, sex, money, and power. The big three, right? In a nutshell, we're to honor marriage, refrain from sexual immorality, beware the love of money, Submit to godly leadership. We're doubly warned in regards to the marriage bed about the specific sins of adultery and this more general idea of sexual immorality, whether married and called to marriage or single and called to singleness, whether for a lifetime or for a season, um, there's a high bar in terms of a Christian sexual ethic, a high bar that the church has held historically that's often countercultural, which that's not new. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright points out the pagan world of the first century uh, was every bit as sexually promiscuous and obsessed as the Western world of the 21st century. Uh, maybe more so. Uh, if you've ever studied Roman graffiti, <laughs> you would see this. Uh, Christians are called today, as they were then, to stand out and to be deeply countercultural at this point. And Hebrews is warning that God will judge those who flout his intention for the gift of sex, using it as a plaything rather than the deep, rich, satisfying bond between husband and wife that it was meant to be. There's a high bar, and Hebrews just assumes that high bar. It doesn't really teach it. just assumes, hey, we know what God has called us to. And we know that from the whole counsel of the Scriptures, and in many ways we know that from even just natural law and revelation. He says, honor this, keep this high standard. 
and realize that there's going to be temptation. Um, I don't know about you, when I hear the big three, sex, money, and power, um, that can, uh, I think we all can read that list and go, hey, here's probably something that I'm struggling with. Um, this is where I would tend to be tempted uh, or, or be led away from God's best for myself, what God intends for us. And, and Hebrews' idea is not to condemn, but to warn lovingly, um, to call folks to repent lovingly, um, to, to come to the Lord Jesus for welcome and cleansing and healing. And that's why I think it ends with verse 8, this anchor uh, Bishop N.T. Wright actually says that, uh, of verse 8, if we get our picture of Jesus right, that these others' huge issues will start to fall into place. Um, we can tether this to the Lord Jesus. So let's talk about not just our relational faith that we have together, but a reliable faith. Uh, verse 8. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 is one of these verses that I think should be memorized by all followers of Jesus. Um, and it's not hard to memorize. It doesn't take work. Some things take a lot of work to memorize, right? Have you tried to memorize anything recently? Uh, I'm, I'm like feeling my own age as I start. To, I try to memorize something. I'm like, man, my brain does not work anymore. <laughs> what is going on? But this verse, I bet you can memorize it before you leave today. Because it's got rhythm and cadence <laughs> and poetry to it. That helps. Uh, but it's meant to be a, a mantra in the best sense of the word. Something we can easily memorize, an anchor, a compass for us. If, if we're on this race of faith, this should be the compass showing us the way, a focal point of faithfulness. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, the reason that the Christian faith is reliable even amidst persecution and pressure and doubt and trial and temptation and grief, the reason Jesus, the reason the Christian faith is reliable is Jesus is reliable. Absolutely, eternally reliable. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how interesting, this congregation who is tempted to maybe revert or slide back into Judaism, something former, He's going, don't you, no, no, no. What for? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Tether your faith to him. Focus on him. Again, over and over in Hebrews, uh, this sermon has emphasized the new and better thing God has done for us in Jesus. Even the very start of Hebrews 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so Hebrews has spent 13 chapters telling us, here's how the Lord Jesus is the new and true and better thing that God has now done. But he says, don't miss. <laughs> Jesus, it, Jesus Christ is the new and better and true fulfillment of all that God promised. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Bishop Wright, again, never think for a moment that when Jesus appeared, this was a, a different revelation or, or a revelation of, of a different God to the one the Israelites had known all those years. It was a fresh revelation of the same God, like, like meeting someone in person who up to this point you had known only through letters and the occasional telephone call. Um, I was at a, a conference this week for church planters from all over uh, the Anglican Church in North America. And what was interesting is as I was at this conference, uh, there were people that I am Facebook friends with that I finally got to talk to. <laughs> and there's a huge difference being Facebook friends with someone and sitting down over coffee and hearing about their life and what's happened. Um, I think Hebrews is telling us in, a, in some sense um, that, that how, there was a degree of knowledge and relationships, certainly in the Old Testament. Don't get us wrong on that. But maybe that's like a, a Facebook friend. <laughs> You're connected. You know a lot. There's a lot there. But now in Jesus, God has come near in the flesh. And you can sit down and talk with him. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And while God has done something new and better and clearer through Jesus, it is not separate or different. It's the fulfillment that everything was always pointing to in the Old Testament. I mean, even as silly of an analogy of social media, the point in connecting is hopefully because you either have connected in real life or will connect in real life. It's a, it's a, it's a secondary thing assisting that relationship and there's this wonderful timelessness to the Lord Jesus and his gospel. And what does it mean to say that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever? I just want you to consider for a little bit, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Um, the way I take that in many ways, especially for the Hebrews, is that whatever they had yesterday... Jesus completes and fulfills the story of Israel. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from God's great narrative he had been writing, how he had been revealing himself. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the same today? Well, one, there's good news that we can experience his presence here and now. Um, I think there's also an urgency to this an immediateness to this. He's saying, Jesus is here right now. Have you done business with him? Have you sat down and gotten to know him? Over and over again in the book of Hebrews, they reference wanderings in the wilderness where it would say, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. He's saying, Jesus Christ is the same today. He's here. He's present. His ministry is available. Uh, there. Uh, is an immediacy and urgency to his gospel. Uh, one writer says, the message of the gospel of Jesus isn't for tomorrow only. You can't put it off and imagine things will be easier when you finish this task, made these decisions, earned some more money, settled down. The challenge of Jesus is for today, for this moment, this decision, this difficulty. And finally, we consider that Jesus Christ is the same forever. And the, the joy of that is that we can rest our hopes and futures on him. Absolutely reliably. We, we can have a future. 
that we can enjoy forever in eternity with God because of the Lord Jesus. And that's what this whole book has been about. The whole book has been about Jesus. And now this pastor, uh, and I'm a little just in awe, uh, preachers get really impressed by other preachers. You know this, right? Uh, just like Chris gets really impressed by other music leaders and guitarists, because you, you actually understand maybe how when they do something that looks really easy, how much hard work and difficulty has gone behind it. Um, <laughs> 13 chapters of Hebrews, and then you just nail it <laughs> with one verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, take that with you. Out the door, mic drop. I don't know if they did mic drops in the, in the first century. <laughs> but that's his whole point. Where does this whole book intersect your life? Right there. And the person and the ministry and the reliability of Jesus. The same yesterday and today and forever. And so if we want to make sense of this passage, I would say, well, we have to do business with that. We have to start with verse 8 and work backwards. Where are you with Jesus? I mean, have you trusted him for your salvation at some point? Are you trusting him for your salvation today, right now? Do you trust him for your salvation eternally? Where are you with the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And then if you get that right, if you've got that compass, well, now you can navigate these other really practical issues. You actually have a way to do so. Um, again, we, we, I talk quite a bit about showing hospitality. If you don't realize that Jesus has shown hospitality to you, making room for you at the table. Well, you're not going to make room for others. Or if you do, you're only going to do it because you think you're supposed to or because you're being a good Southerner with manners. Um, let brotherly love continue. Um, you can try really hard for a while to like and love other people, uh, but eventually there's going to be a rub. If you don't realize the extent to which Jesus has, has welcomed uh, you in the midst of all that's not perfect and is transforming you and is at work in your life, you're not going to extend that grace to one another. Um, I actually find it remarkable that we're told in the scriptures that when we come to faith in Christ, um, we begin to be transformed into his image. It's remarkable to think that in our mess and brokenness, God actually can see who we're becoming, how we're changing, what he's doing. And I just wonder a little bit if knowing that helps us imagine that for one another. Then when we meet someone, we go, hey, here's who you are now. And we welcome you, praise God for you. Just think what God could do. And see them through that lens of faith of what God's work in their life could and will look like. Um, these matters of uh, sex, money, and power, again, if you're not tethered to the Lord Jesus, well, none of that's going to make much sense. But if you are tethered to the Lord Jesus, then you start to realize, okay, what does it look like to make decisions in these areas in light of his goodness and what true goodness and beauty looks like in the world and in my own life? And I read those and go, hey, where, where, do I need Jesus to reform me 
and cleanse me and transform me and heal me? What do I need to repent of and bring to the Lord? Um, Because Hebrews tells us, boldly approach the throne of grace. Here's what I'm struggling with, Lord. Would you deal with it? Um, How do we encourage one another? How do we build one another up? Where do we need the welcome, cleansing, and healing of Jesus? What's the next step in our race of faith with this compass? Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Would you pray with me? Oh God, the Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the faithful, would you come upon and come amongst this congregation? Would you sanctify us by your abiding presence? Bless those who minister in holy things. Enlighten the minds of your people more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Bring souls to the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ, those who are in error. And those who are walking in the way of life, keep steadfast to the end. Would you give patience to the sick and afflicted? Would you renew them in body and soul? And would you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, lead us to generous hospitality for those who are sick and afflicted and struggling? Would you guard those who are strong and prosperous from forgetting you? Increase in us your many gifts of grace. Make us all fruitful in good works. And this we ask, O Holy Spirit, of you whom with the Father and the Son we worship and glorify one God, world without end. Amen.